Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. And we're not just talking about the death of a loved one. That's just one aspect of grief. But I believe grief is very much a part of life. And if we're going to get to forgiveness, we have to go through grief. In fact, often when I work with people, they'll say, well, I forgave, but I just can't get it out of my mind. And I'm like, well, then we need to just spend our time grieving because grieving helps to unlock so much. So um, a little bit of how I came to LBCF. I came to LBCF in about 2008-ish. Um, and one of the things that I've loved about LBCF is that it's a community that holds space for grief. That it's a community that says, come as you are, um, just be wherever you are. And I loved that, and I appreciated it. And I would be sitting um, towards the back uh, because I just wanted to be a person. <laughs> I just wanted to reclaim figure out where I was with Jesus. I had been um, serving in ministry for a number of years, and um, as can happen, um, the ending didn't go so well. And uh, at one point, I was flat out on my back because I had um, recently moved, and then I'd done some ministry trips abroad, and I was lugging these huge suitcases of stuff um, through airports, all around, and, um, and I completely messed up my back. And then my orthopedic doctor said, you have the back of about a 75-year-old. <laughs> I'm like, oh, note to self. Um, you know, not so much with the big suitcases. Um, and so I was out on my back and had just bought my first place, and I came back to um, ministry and they announced that they were moving out of state. Um, and I'm laying on my back in a staff meeting. Nobody else is laying on the floor. <laughs> and I'm sitting there finding the best poker face I can, thinking, are you kidding me? I have just rooted myself deeply in this community, and I'm coming back, and you're moving out of state. Um, so I did the good Christian thing. I will pray about it. And if the Lord tells me to go, I will go. And I did genuinely mean it, but I had a lot of expletives. That's really what I wanted to say out loud. Like, are you? Um, and then a series of events happened, and the Lord spoke to someone who said, we sense from the Lord that you're not supposed to go. Like, so, um, you know just how ministry things can be. So then I went through a stage and I was like, I want you to pray for me, but if you have something to say to me, say it with your eyes open. <laughs> I don't want this kind of, God's telling me this about you, because it can be super painful, misused, right? So I really came to LBCF after that 
experience, after the experience of then being on my back, unemployed, partially employed, um, still trying to um, finish out my days of ministry with integrity, but we had daily prayer together. It was pretty hard to um, pray daily with people that um, you're also feeling really wounded by, right? So I know that some of you can relate to these church wounds, um, ministry wounds, um, and others of you, thank God, maybe you don't have stories like that. Um, so that's where I came to. And at the time, LBCF was in an incredible place of joy. Like, I would come in and the uh, worship would just be so joyful, and I'd be sitting there like, I am not there. <laughs> I am not there at all. Um, and it was all good, because I knew that I was welcome, nonetheless, just where I was. So this morning, I'm going to set a little theological context for grief, talk about Jesus' grief, and talk more about our grief. Um, when Ryan asked if I would speak this morning on grief, I was actually in a place of contentment and joy, and I was not in a place of grief. And I was like, well, I guess so. I, ca I guess I can do that. But I am savoring the fact that I am not in that space. Um, and if you are not in that space of grief, you know what? I want you to savor that this morning. I, you, we all do not need to be in a place of heavy grief. That is not the purpose <laughs> of my message this morning. Um, but if you're in a place where you're aware of loss, where that is what is present for you, I'm hoping that um, this morning would be just an invitation to bring it before yourself and before the Lord. The reality is there's no part of our life that is not touched by grief. If I were to title my message, it would be live, love, grieve, repeat. <laughs> I think that is kind of the cycle of life. In fact, you know, um, just recently, I was like, this one part of my life is so good, and it is so sweet, and like, I'm so glad. There are other parts where things are hard, but this one part, so good. And then, <laughs> something happened, which I won't go into, and I was like, oh no, but that one part, and it's like, oh right, every part of life, maybe not now, but at some point contains some grief. So, joy, celebration, goodness, loss, grief, we get to experience both. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And sometimes I think it's hard to hold both, and it's super hard to move back and forth between the two. But I actually think that's what we get to do as we become more mature. We learn to figure out how to move from grief to joy and joy to grief and back and forth and back and forth. Let's see. All right, so theologically, I want to set this table. One of my favorite theologians, his name is George Eldon Ladd, and he has a saying that we live in the already and the not yet. Some of you may have heard that. Um, what does that mean? It means the already is that Jesus has already come. 
Our sins have already been paid for. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit for comfort, for healing, for amazing things. That has already happened, and we're living in that. But we're also living in the not yet. And the not yet is all of the realities that we see a glimpse, and we see pieces of what God is doing and the presence of God, and there are so many ways that there is suffering and that we are um, yearning and longing for what we wish was, for what we want to be. And grief belongs to the not yet. And I believe that the, the amazing thing is that the not yet is held in the hands of God. And this is what I believe makes our grief different, can be different than just um, someone who doesn't know that at the bottom, when we have no other comfort, we can know that we are held in the hands of God. There are lots of ways that I might feel comforted, like, okay, well, that wouldn't have been that great anyway, or we can go another time, or, well, you know, okay, plan B. But when push comes to shove, the ultimate comfort is what we have access to, which is that one day everything will be made right. There will be a day when all of the tears are wiped and all of the bodies are made whole and all of the systems that are broken will uh, flourish as Jesus intended, when the lion and the lamb will lay down together. And I actually believe that if we're going to grieve, we, act, we need to know that there is that day coming. And it's not a cop-out. It is a reality that we want to and need to live in awareness of. First Thessalonians 4 says, We grieve not as, though who, as those who have no hope, but as those with hope. And, you know, when I've heard that verse preached, I often have heard, this is what I hear, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. <laughs> like, almost like having hope in God dismisses or diminishes our grief. But no, actually, like we grieve. And we grieve different because it's held by hands of God. All right. I want to look a little bit at Jesus' grief. I woke up this morning and did a, a brief outline, and that just got a little too brief. Let's see. Okay. All right. So I love that Jesus grieves and that we see it. All right. So in the book of Hebrews... It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Okay, so a couple things. Jesus didn't just cry, weep, grieve once. It says 
during the days of Jesus' life. Like, this was normal for Jesus to grieve. And he, he did it loudly, with loud cries and tears. Okay. Going to the Gospel of Mark. I'm pretty sure that Hebrews, what we just read, is an echo of what is written in Mark. Mark says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, his three most beloved, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Here we, we see Jesus praying with deep anguish and asking his inner circle, his people, to stay with him. We know that didn't go very well, did it? <laughs> but we don't know exactly what his tears are over. What was, was it what he was experiencing in the moment? Was it what was ahead? Was it the state of the world? Okay, another scripture. Now we're getting to the two scriptures where it actually talks about Jesus weeping. There are two references. And in Luke, chapter 19, verse 41, in the triumphal entry, it says, um, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. The, the word in Greek suggests audible, loud sobs, open, loud crying. And it's active. It's sudden and immediate. He was suddenly moved. He's weeping over, over his, the city, over the place that he's so, so beloved to him. And then in John, this is what uh, Tati read this morning, um, chapter 11. I'm just going to read a bit of, really, it's the whole chapter that's uh, so beautiful. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. You know, for those of you that grew up in Sunday school, my Bible memory verse that was most favorite, um, Jesus wept. Now, the context, I don't believe is so much about how amazing it is that Jesus wept. I think that was very normal. I think that in the biblical context, weeping is normal. It's not very normal to us, so this is like kind of countercultural. It's really a story about love. John loves to tell stories about individual relationships, and here we see how much he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Like, these were his people. These were the people that he absolutely loved. And then we have Jesus. Jesus moved to weeping. And uh, as I was preparing, I, I found a song. 
and I thought, oh, I'm not going to like this song because um, it's by a gentleman that um, I just didn't think I would like it. And I found it so moving and so beautiful. And so I want to play it for you. It's a video. And if you're watching this live stream, you may not be able to watch it. Um, it may need to be blacked out, but you can look it up. It's Michael Card, uh, Jesus Wept. I just want you to listen to the story and um, as he tells it in this song. Familiar figure comes And now he's three days late How could he take so long? Why did he hesitate? Two women question him Both weeping as they came Completely different yet And still they're both the same Martha's grasping at Some vague religious hope Endless anxiety she can barely cope But Mary's gasping with Her own hopeful fear Lazarus would not have died If you had been here Did Jesus weep For their disbelief Or did he cry Because his friend had died Took on himself All of their pain and fear Explain the mystery of his silent tears. He stood beside the tomb of his beloved friend and shouted out those words they could not comprehend. Then rose the smiling corpse Familiar silhouette, it was a moment that they never would forget. Jesus wept that day, mysterious silent tears. The reason that he cried never will be clear. But there's one certain thing, for now that we can say, he had come to wipe all their tears away. Did Jesus weep for their disbelief? Or did he cry because his friend had died? Took on himself all of their pain and fear. Explain the mystery of his silent tears. John is. Yeah. So we have a God who weeps. We have a God who moves. And not just Jesus, but this is the God of the universe, not just the human Jesus, but actually the God Jesus. We see, I believe, the, the whole biblical story after the fall is a story of God yearning and moving towards us as his people, 
yearning and pressing in and, and wanting relationship with us. Such a beautiful story. It's such a bizarre idea, but it's, um, sometimes we like the thought that God is immovable and static. That is not a biblical view of God. That's a Greek view. That's Plato. That's Socrates. That is not the biblical God. Our God grieves. I believe one of the reasons that it's so hard to understand that is our culture doesn't know how to grieve. Um, and one of the invitations this morning is to learn again how to grieve, to learn to, um, to find, to identify the losses, to sit with the grief, because it's just part of life. And if we want to live life fully, we will need to learn how to grieve. I'd say a third of probably the work that I do has to do with helping people learn how to grieve, helping people get underneath the depression, get underneath the addiction, to look at the grief that they're actually experiencing, that they're trying to avoid, that they don't know how to process, that they're afraid to process. I remember when my family, uh, we went out to dinner. Some of you I may have shared this before, um, the story, but um, I think I was in first grade, and we went out for dinner, and it was supposed to be this fancy occasion for my parents to announce to us that we were moving across the country when I promptly burst into tears. <laughs> um, it was like not quite the right, it was not quite the response they were looking for, and I felt so embarrassed, and my brother was like, you know, like, you're embarrassing us. I was like, I'm sorry. Um, but we, as children and as babies, babies and children just grieve until they're taught not to. We know how to grieve until we're taught maybe no one will be there for you when you grieve. Or boys shouldn't cry. Be strong. Like, you're going to get teased if you cry going to be called too sensitive. And so we have a lot of relearning of how to grieve. Firstly, we usually need to find our points of grief and then find our feelings. And then you can put up the E slide. And then there's just a simple little four-step thing that I want to offer to you this morning that we need to enter our grief, which is like, okay, here it is. I get it. I will say yes to entering my grief. We need to embrace our grief. We have to endure grief. Like, grief, it just is. And it always is harder, I think, than we wish it would be. And then we exit our grief. Now, I'm not saying we don't continue to grieve things, but I believe that we go through cycles of grief. We go through waves of grieving. And sometimes we don't want to enter because we're afraid we're never going to exit. We're afraid that we're going to be in it forever, that if we let ourselves truly feel our feelings, that we are going to live in that place of grief forever. And so we avoid it. I want to share with you a story. Um, I was thinking the other day, I really miss my dad. Um, 
I miss him a lot more now that, I mean, this is such an obvious, I miss him so much that he's passed away. Um, and for those of you that have very painful dad stories, um, this might be a little bit painful for you to hear. Um, but I, I lived on the other side of the country, so I didn't see my dad very much. Um, and honestly, we weren't particularly close, and it was a complicated relationship. And then one day, I was getting ready to go walk my dog with my neighbors and their dogs, and my dad called, and I thought, that's very strange. It's like morning, he's East Coast, I'm here. This is not how we usually do things. And um, his voice cracked, and he said, I've been diagnosed with ALS. And I didn't know what ALS was. For those of you that don't know, it's, um, it's a terminal illness where you slowly lose um, neurological connection between the brain and your muscles. So step by step, you lose movement and functions of your body. Um, but I didn't know. All I knew is I heard the crack in his voice, and the crack in his voice connected with my stomach. I just, uh, like I knew this was bad. Um, so, you know, I, I did some research, I figured it out, like what is this, what are we dealing with? And I was surprised by the love and the commitment that emerged out of my heart. I was surprised, and memories come back of actually he was the one when I was in the hospital when I was three years old, and my mom was too anxious to come and see me who spent the night with, with me. He was the one who, when I broke my arm, took me to the hospital. He was the one who could nurture, and I found myself in this place of, I will do anything to to help and support. So I made a, I didn't know what kind of ALS he had. I didn't know if he'd lose his ability to speak first or if that would be later. So I made a commitment to call every day. That was my commitment. This was like, that's crazy compared to like, you know, how our family was functioning. Um, but it was important that love compelled me to move towards. Love compelled me to move in to the grief and into the hardship. And so I did, every day. Ended up moving my parents out here to be closer to help care for my dad. And um, it was a wild ride. And some of you, um, Barb in particular and John, were there the whole, the whole journey. And it was painful. And yet, sometimes when we lose things, it's not actually the loss that's so painful, but all the secondary losses around it. So there was the loss of my dad to ALS, but I have to say, I mean, it's like he faced it with so much dignity, and we had incredibly sweet moments together. But there were a lot of other losses. You know, my mom was so overwhelmed with caring for him, and he was really the rock in our family. Um, she couldn't enter in. She didn't know how to show up and be with him. She actually couldn't stand the sight of his wheelchair. 
and this like contraption that would have been really helpful. So to the very end, it sat out on the patio, untouched, because my mom couldn't handle the grief that would come up by looking at this contraption. My mom has no memory of about a year of that time. She didn't know how to enter in to the grief. I mean, grief is crazy. I remember the Sunday after my dad passed away, I think I checked my voicemail, and some caregiver of my dad's had left a message about some machine, as if I would know, like the settings. And as I heard that voicemail message, I panicked and I thought, oh my gosh, if I had been able to adjust this, if I'd listened to my messages earlier, would he still be alive? Like, is that, is, I mean, right, when we're in grief, like, our minds are just all over the place. And so learning how to grieve is essential to life. My dad and I spent a lot of time together, um, more than I'd probably ever spent with him since maybe I was very little. And we watched... Um, I was in a place with Jesus where we were barely on speaking terms. <laughs> and here's my dad um, wanting to get to know Jesus. And I begrudgingly was responsive. <laughs> um, five, ten years before that, I would have been like, yes, this is so great. All I wanted was to actually spend time with my dad. But alas, he wanted to get to know this Jesus. And so I would read to him from this devotional. Um, and we watched this movie together. Heaven is, for, is heaven for real? Heaven is for real? It was so painful. We both sat there. I mean, I think, I think my dad... We were in so much pain and so many tears, and neither of us knew what to do. We were overwhelmed with grief. Um, we had to just shut the movie off because it was too much. Um, and it was the sweetest time as well. And so I don't know for you what your history is with grief. I know that because of some of the circumstances of my family, comfort was not something that I knew very deeply. And it still makes me prone towards anxiety and maybe often seeing and feeling the grief and not being able to find the comfort. Um, but I want to invite you in this morning that wherever you are in whatever piece of grief you may be processing, whether it's small, whether it's very significant, that you would know what it is to be held, that you would know what it is to be held by Jesus, by community, I want to read you a letter, you know, whenever I sp have to speak about grief or think about grief, um, I think about a letter that my dad wrote to me. You can see his handwriting, even though he was losing his ability to use his hands. He wrote this letter to me to open after he passed away. And I'm going to read it to you. And there's a little hyperbole because he wrote something kind of similar to my brother, but alas. Uh, Catherine, a.k.a. Kathy, because that's what he called me. 
No one could have made me as proud and full of love as you have. The burdens of your family that you've carried have been terrible, yet you've overcome them and become the beautiful, smart, and caring person that you are, so full of love and generosity. I never knew that my dad saw what I carried. Seeing you as you have become makes me feel fully satisfied with my life now. I am now moving on and waiting for you at Jesus' side. Believe it or not, you have quietly given me the faith to know that there is a heaven and that you'll be there for sure. Please do what you can for a family, although no one could do more than you've already done. All my love, Dad. And his signature is in his very broken penmanship of someone who was losing their ability to write. So, I want to invite us to honor the grief that we have, to feel the grief, to not bury it, to let it be in front of us, to own it, because if we don't own our grief, it will own us. The opportunity is to, to own it, to feel it, to let ourselves be held by people and by the Lord. All right. We are transitioning now to communion. And as we transition to communion, I want you to think about um, the way that we are fed and ministered to by Jesus' broken body and shed blood, and um, with gratitude for who he is and how one day every tear will be wiped and every body will be made whole and every system will be um, made just. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.